It's 1.11 a.m., and I'm rushing this podcast episode out because of a U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission case against Oki Dow. As I read the case, the CFTC said that if a Dow did something wrong, both the Dow itself and its voting members can be held liable. That's why I want to publish this episode so quickly. In this conversation with Adam Miller of MyDAO, we talk about why it's important for DAOs to protect their members with a proper legal structure and why his company, MyDAO, is helping DAOs set up LLCs in the Marshall Islands of all places. It'll make sense when you hear him explain it. We also talk about what's working and what's not working in DAOs. I'm Andrew Warner, the very tired Andrew Warner, as you can hear from my voice, and the very dedicated Andrew Warner. And this podcast is presented by Origami. It's the software and services combination that the most ambitious DAOs turn to. Seriously, if you're setting up a DAO or need help managing it, go to joinorigami.com. All right, let's get started. Can you tell me about one of the DAOs that you've worked with? Satoshi Island is really cool. Satoshi Island purchased a large island in the nation of Vanuatu in the South Pacific and is turning it into a crypto civilization. Um, they're building amazing buildings. They have great internet access, community center, and they're attracting people who want to live the crypto life and live on a beautiful island um, that's controlled by crypto and by a DAO. And so why do they need to work with you? Couldn't they just form a DAO and move on? Yeah, so, you know, most DAOs at least think about um, the risk of unlimited liability that comes with any collective business activity you do with other people. And what I mean by that is that if you join a DAO and you do some work and you get sued for something related to that work, like let's say you lost people's money or someone slipped and fell on your island and they're suing you for their medical bills, um, without some kind of liability shield, the individuals involved in that DAO can be held uh, financially liable for that lawsuit or those activities. So you want to form a corporate veil, some kind of legal entity, be it a corporation or an LLC or a foundation or something else that provides you with that uh, corporate veil, that liability shield that we call limited liability. And mm -hmm. the other big thing that comes up a lot is what we call corporate personhood, which is the ability for a DAO to act as a person in the eyes of the law to do things like own property. Right? If you want to own real estate, you need a legal entity. If you want to own your logo or other intellectual property, you need a legal entity. So those and optimizing taxes are some of the common reasons that people want to form a legal entity. Talk about the taxes. Yeah, absolutely. So for similar reasons that the people involved in a DAO can be held liable for any liabilities that the DAO incurs in its activity, the people in a DAO without a legal entity are also held liable for its taxes on its earnings. Mm. So without, if they don't have a legal entity. Uh, and so let's say a DAO with 100 people makes $100 million in earnings on, let's say, the Ethereum that they collected five years ago, and then they sell it. The, those 100 people are each going to owe the IRS taxes on a million dollars worth of capital gains if they're in the US and similar in most jurisdictions. Um, if you have a certain type of legal entity and you've uh, created it and organized it the right way, just like with any business you've ever worked for, right? you don't have to pay taxes on that money. The business has to pay taxes on that money. And you'll only have to pay taxes if they actually distribute that profit to you in the form of dividends or wages or whatever. Then why the Marshall Islands of all places? 
Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So the Marshall Islands has long been one of the most popular homes for shipping companies to create their legal entities. This goes back several decades. And today, the Marshall Islands is home to 20% of the world's shipping capacity and about 50 companies that are publicly traded on NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. So when we approached the Marshall Islands last year, uh, part of the pitch was, hey, you guys are leaders in the space of shipping. How would you also like to become leaders in the space of DAOs? And one of the reasons the Marshall Islands is a leader in the space of shipping is that it's a great best of both worlds scenario where it is a sovereign nation with its own laws, a seat at the United Nations, uh, no ability for the United States to apply its jurisdiction over the Marshall Islands. But it is considered a freely associated state with the United States. And so it gets U.S. military protection. It gets to use the Postal Service and other uh, U.S. federal agencies. Um, and so it's this nice balance of being a respected part of the Western world and very close to the U.S. without actually having to follow U.S. laws and be under U.S. jurisdiction. And still the laws of Delaware have an influence Knowing that Delaware is the number one corporate home for any company anywhere in the world, um, especially in the United States, and the reason for that being that Delaware has the most uh, case law. So the most cases have been tried there. And so pe companies know that if there's a dispute, there's already a solution in the case law and they won't have to go through an expensive uh, legal process. So the Marshall mm -hmm. Islands decided to write into its laws that it will follow Delaware precedent if there's no uh, you know, conflicting precedent. Uh, or conflicting laws in the Marshall Islands. And so you get the benefit of being a Delaware company um, in terms of all this case law without actually having to register in Delaware and be directly subject to U.S. Um, regulators. Right. I'm guessing that one of the reasons why Satoshi Island wanted to work with you is also that they wanted to maintain the anonymity of their DAO members, that a lot of people join DAOs without having their real name and personally identifiable information connected to them. You don't require that, right? It's very minimal. So, yeah, and there's other reasons why a global DAO should not seriously consider registering their entity in the United States. But certainly one of the benefits of what we're building in the Marshall Islands and with the Marshall Islands is we found a great way to minimize KYC and, and actual doxing of DAO members while still being able to make sure that the DAO is not being used for money laundering or the financing of terrorism um, or any criminal activity by doing on-chain analytics. And so what that means is that a maximum of 10 people, often just one person involved in the DAO, has to dox themselves and do KYC. And your other hundreds of thousands of members or however many you have can remain completely anonymous. And the way that you do it on chain is by just looking at where money has come into the wallet. We can use similar methods that uh, governments around the world are using to make sure that um, any wallets that they're investigating are not connected to criminal or terrorist activity, which is to look at the flow of money across the history of the blockchain and look at events that have been tagged as criminal. So like imagine um, like a wallet that the government knows was funded by like some kind of North Korean hack and has $400 million in it from some bridge hack. You, because everything is public on the blockchain, you can follow that money from its source to wherever else it goes. And if that money ends up in your DAO's treasury, 
or in a wallet that's a, a significant member of your DAO, then we can investigate that further and ask you, hey, why does it look like, you know, there's a North Korean terrorist who's like controlling your DAO? And you're probably equally interested in, in knowing that information as we are, um, if that's something that's happening. But if a crime was committed off chain and then the money was put into a brand new wallet and then that wallet was a part of the DAO, there's no way to flag it. The expectation is that the centralized exchange that brought the money on chain is also doing this work. Mm -hmm. So kind of like in the TradFi system, the governments trust banks. Right? Now, we don't love trusting banks in, in DeFi and Web3, but the government trusts banks to do this work to make sure they're not dealing with criminals of any kind. Same thing with centralized exchanges, which is the way people get their money into crypto in the first place. So if the centralized exchanges are doing this work and then everyone who exists purely on chain like DEXs and like us is doing that work, then you're covering all your bases. What else? What are the other benefits? You get all those benefits of a legal entity almost no matter where in the world you register your entity and no matter what kind of entity you choose. Um, the key is understanding the particular needs of your organization and characteristics and just making sure to choose the right one for you. Um, one of the benefits of our Marshall Islands option is it's less expensive than most non-US options. And also that we've written smart contracts and digital ledger addresses and blockchain into the actual law. So you know that it's acceptable, for example, to have a smart contract that governs your DAO or let's say an ERC-20 or an NFT token that represents membership in your DAO. You know that that's going to hold up in a court of law because it's written into the law. And you, Adam, helped get it into the law there. Yeah, so our team helped draft the legislation that we then partnered with members of the Marshall Islands Nigella or Parliament on uh, finalizing and proposing the law. And we're working with them on ongoing updates to the legislation um, to eventually create a whole regulatory framework for digital assets that okay. um, will try to make the Marshall Islands the best home in the world for potentially any digital asset project, but at least for DAOs. What's Crypto Monday doing with my DAO? Crypto Mondays is a global meetup group that a lot of people have probably heard of. We're in 50 cities all over the world. It's a lot of fun. And I run the local chapter uh, in where I live in California. Um, and Crypto Mondays uh, is turning its global meetup group into a DAO. So rather than having the, the logo and the brands and the meetup account all controlled by the one person or, or the for, little for-profit company that owned it before, they said, let's give all this property to the community. So by forming a legal entity in the Marshall Islands, they're not only protecting all of the people involved from unlimited liability, they're also making it so that the old owner of the logo can actually give that property to the DAO. So the DAO can now actually own its own logo, its own website, even the Discord server, right? Now legally it's owned by the company instead of being owned by the person who started it. What's the advantage for them of being a DAO as opposed to a nonprofit? Well, a DAO can be a nonprofit. So in some ways that's a different question, right? Um, any company can uh, either decide to have a corporate entity or not. And it can also decide to be a for-profit or a non-profit. And sometimes there's even more nuances to that. So actually what we've created for Crypto Mondays is a non-profit LLC based in the Marshall Islands that allows them to be a non-profit and be a DAO that's an LLC. Non-profit is a tax identification and the DAO is a governance ethos and a, gover yeah, and depending, a method of governance. That's a good point. Yeah, and DAO is not 
technically defined anywhere in law, right? Maybe some exceptions, but I mean, where it's defined, it doesn't apply to every time you use the word DAO. So when we talk about a DAO, we usually are talking about the governance structure or the business operation structure of an organization. And then the next question to your point is, okay, what legal entity do you want to choose? Some legal entities come with their for-profit versus non-profit designation, like a non-profit foundation in the Cayman Islands or our non-profit LLC is only a non-profit. Um, mm -hmm. Other entity types like a corporation in the United States can elect to be a non-profit or a for-profit and it can even elect for other options in terms of tax treatment with the IRS and other, other institutions. I noticed that a lot of DAOs are registering in the Cayman Islands. Why the Cayman Islands versus Marshall Islands? The Marshall Islands is a very new option. Um, we just signed our agreement with the Marshall Islands government in July to be the exclusive provider of these entities. And I've had people tell me, people that I respect and admire in the crypto space, friends tell me, you know what, we're going with the Cayman Islands because people have been doing crypto things in the Cayman Islands for five years or eight years, mm -hmm. and we're just not willing to try something new. And I respect that. Um, there are some downsides to going with the foundation in the Cayman Islands and places like Switzerland and British Virgin Islands as well, which is that generally you have to have some kind of board involved in the organization. And that board, those board members do take on special liability and technically do have special power over the organization. And while you can have them sign a contract saying they're going to vote in accordance with how the DAO votes on chain, you still have this layer of trust and this idea that what if the police come to this board member's house and say, you have to vote a certain way for this organization because otherwise you're breaking the law, they're probably going to do it. And so you have this kind of human layer of trust between the DAO and their entity that you probably don't want to have. Um, we're also less expensive than Cayman Islands, Switzerland, BVI, and most foreign options as well. So then there's no board in the Marshall Islands. It's correct. No board, no officers, no independent directors, nothing like that. So that means that the DAO members truly are in control without anyone else separating them from, from their legal ob obligations. Exactly. And because it's an LLC, it's very flexible. So almost anything you can imagine in terms of a governance structure, you can do with an LLC. And the key and what we help people with is how do you want to involve smart contracts in that? So are you going to have a smart contract, for example, that counts the votes and takes proposals? And do you want to make that legally binding? Or do you want to allow for the flexibility of also doing a vote in a snapshot or in Discord or by email? Mm -hmm. Um, same thing with membership, right? You could allow for a list of members on paper in addition to the token holders if you want to. Um, and there's some cases where that, that might actually make sense. But in other cases, you might want to just turn the DAO over truly to the token holders and their smart contracts. And, and you can do that too. Before this, you had a company called DAO Platform. You helped people set up DAOs as a consultant. What was it that led DAOs to fail of the ones that you'd worked with? Onboarding, right? Especially because there's so much excitement about DAOs right now that there's a good chance that if you start a DAO, you're going to have people finding you, coming into your Discord or your web forum and saying, hey, I'm Adam, how can I help with your DAO? 
And what happens is, unless you have a good onboarding flow that could be documentation, it could be a bot, it could be a wiki, it could just be people saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm part of the onboarding team, happy to have you here, let's chat. Unless something like that happens pretty quickly, you're gonna lose the person. And even same thing, mm -hmm. if all they get is, well, here, go work on this website, and then they don't hear from anyone for two weeks, right? you're not gonna keep that person around. So similar to like recruitment and retention in the TradFi world, but, but I think with DAOs, it's more like the onboarding flow. How do you actually take this interest and turn it into productive activity? What have you seen that DAOs do well as far as onboarding their members and getting them involved early on? I think documentation is the most common thing that works well. And it could be as simple as a message in your Discord server or like a one page on a website. It could also be a little more complex. Like a lot of people like to use Notion or something like it to have like a wiki of everything that's going on. Um, but I think the key is just to have somewhere people can go so that when they get into your Discord server, they know what to do next, right? Maybe there's a way for them to select a role. And once they select that role, well, now you know what they're interested in helping with. So mm -hmm. as long as you have something, it's so much better than nothing. And I mean, I think the other thing that comes up a lot with DAO founders is like, DAOs are businesses, right? You don't have to call it a business if you don't want to. Call it a cooperative, call it a nonprofit, call it a charity, call it a club, right? Whatever you want to call it, whenever a club or a company is not run very well, right? Whether it's run by one person or everyone's running it together, right? If it's not organized, if you don't have the right processes in place, if it's not engaging to the people who join, if there's no yeah. leaders, it's not going to succeed. And the same thing applies to DAOs, right? DAOs need maybe better leaders than other organizations need. Even if leadership is more distributed and not centralized, you need people leading in terms of driving engagement, in terms of um, having a vision and driving that vision and creating a strategy and all those things that leaders do. Is one of the big problems of a DAO that the hub of the DAO is the chat? that if you were going to set up a program to guide new employees, you wouldn't make the chat the hub of their experience. I think it depends a lot on what your model is for how you want people to help you build your DAO. And what I mean by that is, for example, are you gonna have full-time contractors or employees or something like it, half-time, mm -hmm. part-time, right? And if you do, those people need more onboarding, right? If you're gonna hire someone 40 hours a week for your DAO, they need some kind of like management, guidance, documentation, process to follow, you know, HR system even of some kind or OMSBUD people, right? But if you're looking more either in addition to that or instead of that as letting anyone come in and just work mm -hmm. on one little task or project anytime if they want to and have the right skills, then that's very different. And maybe that's where it is okay to have things be a bit more informal and chat driven or, you know, maybe combine it with some kind of Kanban board with bounties, um, that yeah. kind of thing, like Dwork, for example. Um, so, so that's where I, I think it does depend. I also think we are doing that experiment to figure that out, right? DAOs are trying to be very asynchronous and chat driven more than any other type of organization that I'm aware of, maybe aside from gaming, and we could probably learn more from gaming. But we're doing these experiments now to figure out if it is possible to run a successful organization all on Discord, right? And we're trying to figure that out together.
And you really shouldn't be all on Discord, right? And you know this from Origami. There's significant amount of other tools that actually will make DAOs much more effective than just using Discord. But maybe mm-hmm. Discord is like the office space, right? It's, it's all it's replacing is instead of having cubicles in a building, you have channels in a Discord, but then you still have to go figure out everything else. I do feel like I live in Discord now. Um, mm-hmm. I like it. What else have you noticed is a problem for DAOs? You know, when I was doing my DAO consulting, my plan mm-hmm. was to start a DAO technology company sometime earlier this year when instead I came across this opportunity to start my DAO. So I believe very strongly in what you're doing at Origami. And I do think that that's one of the other big missing pieces in this space is either a technology platform that is so flexible that people can come in and design their own governance and social and organizational structure and processes into it, which is going to be very hard to build, or tools that are opinionated and have made decisions about how a DAO should operate or how it would be most effective to operate and and then to be right about it, right? So you guys at Origami, right, you are trying to figure out, as far as I know, like what are the best ways to run a DAO, right? What are Mm -hmm. the best processes? What are the best tools? And if you can hit it right and you can design the way an organization should work for certain scenarios even better than anyone else has, that's the other thing we need in the space of DAOs. And, and I think that's where we're going to see some of the biggest successes over the next couple of years is when there's a tool that finally like really works. And like people like me could say, oh, if you're trying to start a DAO like you just described to me, you should definitely go use Origami because it's going to meet all your needs. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to be huge. All right, you got a podcast. Just DAO it. It's a good name, dude. What's worked for you with the podcast? It's a great question. And I've taken a couple weeks off and had a little bit of time to think about some changes I may want to make. And I'd be really curious for your ideas too. But what I also like is that we spend about half the episode covering the news about DAOs and not just covering it, but talking about it. So me and my guest or guests will actually respond to the news story and dig into what does it mean for people starting DAOs, right? Mm -hmm. Do we agree with it or disagree with it if there's a take involved? So we do that first. And then the second half of the podcast is actually interviewing the guest with usually the same set of like four or five questions that I ask everyone because I think they're the most like key questions that people need to hear the answer to if they're starting a DAO. So that's what's worked. But honestly, I am really curious about the structure. Like, does that work to combine those two things? Is the order right that we like talk about stuff and then you learn more about the person? So I think there's some interesting questions too. I get your point. I think that maybe there is a benefit to breaking it up because if you break it up, when people look through the old archive, it feels more relevant. They could see that you've got uh, somebody coming on from Juicebox, and that alone would be enough of a draw. But if it's them talking about the news is the first part of the conversation, Ooh. it feels like maybe it's dated by the time you're listening to it two months later. That's such a good point. My little suggestion is, I think you're linking mostly to the podcast app that Apple has, and I think you're alienating a lot of people by doing that instead of going over to, to one that's platform agnostic like Spotify. 
That's interesting because when I give out the link personally, I use the link tree that will take you anywhere. But my producer's uh, idea, if you're listening, uh, Ari, um, was that because Apple Podcasts is by far the most popular of the podcast apps, that it's better to link to that and people know they can find it other places. So I actually lean towards your side, but I also um, like to lean towards just trusting the people I work with. So this is going to yeah. be a tough one. <laughs> Here's an article from TechCrunch from October 2021. Spotify says U.S. podcast listeners are now using its service more than Apple Podcasts. I think that older podcasts still have a bigger audience on Apple Podcasts, but newer ones um, see more listeners on Spotify because it is on every platform. Mm. All right. I'm sold. You got me. (laughs) (laughs) I love love changing my mind, so um, bonus points for you. Thank you. (laughs) I love closing it out with interesting DAOs. Do you have an interesting DAO that that you've come across? I got to bring up one that I have worked with in a small way, just as a member, which is DXDAO. Mm -hmm. So DXDAO is very cool because they, first of all, they're one of the early DAOs, but they're not as well known because they didn't used to spend a lot on marketing and promotion. Um, it's a DAO that builds Web3 products. So they've built Swapper, which is a leading uh, DEX, especially on Gnosis. They've contributed to other Gnosis work. They have a prediction market. They have an incentive engine. And everything they do runs as on-chain and decentralized as possible. So things that most DAOs still do in a, decentral- in a centralized way, such as their domain name and pointing to their front-end website, DXDAO does everything decentralized, hosting on IPFS, using ETH.limo for DNS, and all their money, everything they control, they control through the DAO wallet, which is not controlled by a multisig. It's controlled directly by the DAO's members. So I think that's a really cool example of a successful DAO that people should go check out and learn from. And if you're interested, go contribute to it. Right on. Thanks for being on here. The website for you is MyDAO, that's M-I-D-A-O.org. And then your podcast and whatever podcast app people are listening to us in is just DAO it. And I'll say for anyone who is interested in creating a DAO, even if you don't end up working with Origami, you can come and just have a conversation with the people at Origami. They love talking about DAOs. Um, and so you can reach us all at contact at joinorigami.com or just go to joinorigami.com.